Hi, this is Carrie Ann Reed Brown, and this is Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. Wagwan. Okay, so this episode today, my guest is Anim Awe. And if her name sounds familiar, it's because a few episodes ago, her sister, her twin sister, B. Awe, was a guest talking about social capital. And like B, her parents are from Haiti and Cameroon. Anim is a licensed social worker and health educator, and she discovered her passion for public health and mental health while she was in high school. And so while I was editing the episode, I realized that we did not do the intro because we were so caught up in the conversation. And um, so that's why I'm giving you the little intro on our guests. And so without further ado, here's my interview with Anim Awe. Everyone, welcome to another episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American podcast. This morning, I have Anim with me. Anim, welcome to the podcast. I'm so glad that you're on. Good morning. I'm happy to be here with you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. So today we're going to talk about something where every now and then my friends and maybe I'll talk to my family about it. Lord, work has stressed me out. Or in other cases, we might hear, oh, there's such a toxic work environment. So let's start there. What is considered a toxic work environment? Sure. I think a toxic work environment is one that produces some level of anxiety for an individual. It's one that makes you question your worth, question your level of integrity in many ways in the workplace. It can definitely impact how you ultimately impact how you do in work in terms of social and emotional. I think it just, creates a hostile environment for the individual and kind of just makes you not want to be there. So um, emotionally, you're pretty drained and you're pretty tapped. And I think it ultimately just leads to burnout, which is harmful for both the company and the individual, depending on, you know, where, where you're at with the whole process. All right. Boy, I, there's a, I took a couple notes right there because I want to ask sure. some questions. But, you know, so that's what a toxic work environment is, you know, Sure. What should we, how do you recognize burnout? Because a lot of times, just like I said before, like I feel stressed out at work and we'll, I'll, I'll ask you some questions on that, but we use burnout a lot. And so, yeah. you know, how do we know what is burnout? Um, I think it looks differently in many cases. I, you know, from my perspective, it's, am I dreading to go to work each day? And dread is a little different between um, it's Monday, you know, I just came back from the weekend and I don't want to go. I think dread is like, there's a physical, there's a physical component to it where I am like, my work isn't as, I'm not as effective on my workload anymore. I'm no longer feeling the desire and passion that I have. The structures within the company are now working against me rather than working for me. And I feel isolated in many ways. And so I just no longer have the desire to do this work. I no longer feel my purpose in this work. And it's unfortunate because a lot of people go into many careers very well intended because of the work environment, the toxic work environment. I think those factors play into it and create this burnout that we say. And I think it, it really is that bottom line where people are just no, are just tapped and can no longer do it and can no longer face a day in that workspace, unfortunately. 
I know, I know. Like yeah, everything you're saying resonates with me now because you know, you feel like, you know, especially coming from a culture of Caribbean people, you know, you're hardworking and yes. you feel like yes. you know, I should be doing more and you just feel like you just are trying to push, but it really not it's just so much effort yes. to push through it. And a lot That's of times we one. feel like we can push through it. So, yeah. you know, okay, maybe you're having burnout. You, everything that you say, you're like, check, I experienced this, check, I experienced yeah. this, check, I experienced this, like, okay, what next? Because a lot of times I feel like we think that, you know, I just need a few days off and just get it together and just have, I, I feel like at some point, internal, um, intrinsic motivation is not really enough. Yeah, exactly. You're depleted at that point. Mm -hmm. And so, like, um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you hit a very good point because we come from Caribbean backgrounds where, you know, this notion of work hard, work hard, work hard, and leaves very little room to acknowledge the emotional or mental health pieces that we we experience and that they very likely experienced but couldn't name it. I think we we sit as, um, you know, first generation or whatever your... um, you know, wherever you are with that, I think it doesn't allow for us or we feel guilty when, you know, we have these mm-hmm. feelings and it, it's a hard balance to make, you know, especially being from a Caribbean household and, you know, having to try, trying to have this conversation with your family or your parents. Um, it, it's really tough and, you know, you really hit on it really well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because then you have this cultural pres- pressure, you have your own internal and amb- your own ambitious and, you know, just, just you valuing Absolutely. in your work. Because for me, you know, like if I can't, you know, I show up at work and it's, you know, people will say, oh, your work isn't a reflection of you, but you take pride in your work. And if you feel like you can't do, as you said, the job you were hired to do, the way you know you can do it, it it starts to mess with you. You start to doubt your capabilities. So like you have this domino effect of things. So what can we do or what can anyone do when they're, they find that they're in a toxic work environment, they're experiencing burnout and they can't motivate themselves enough because it could, you, when you try to motivate yourself from experience, it works for, for maybe a day or two. And then it goes back yeah. to where it was. So and then it falls off. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there are a couple of things. My my first um, sort of reaction is to always communicate, right? Whether it's communicating with the management team or however your uh, organization is set up, I think having that conversation with a individual that you can confide in, that's in the management role, that you know can be receptive to you in um, some ways about some of these issues that you're facing. So um, something like microaggressions, and I think depending on, again, what sector you're working in, so this language may be familiar and it may not be familiar, but having that conversation with an individual about some of the experiences you're facing can be helpful. Um, utilizing mental health days, uh, mm-hmm. use it. That's what those sick days are there for. So, I mean, the reality is these companies, whether you're there or not, they're going to replace you. So mm-hmm. if you want to be your best when you're coming into these spaces, utilize that time off if you need it. Listen to your body. Be mind, you know, Absolutely. take a second in all the chaos of the world to just check in with yourself and see if you're okay or not. And it's okay to use those, that time off. That's what you work for. That's what you've accrued. You've earned it. So use it. And um, I think creating a, 
smaller environment within the workforce as well. If you can confine in a group of people or other individuals that you can talk to. I know in my personal work, it really helps having at least, you know, a couple peers in the workplace where I could just, we could just have a conversation because more than often, I'm not alone in that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and the worst comes the worst, or in many scenarios, this action might be the best thing for you. It may be time to leave. If this is causing you, you know, if this is such a toxic environment where it's, you know, deeply impacting your social and emotional health, and which also has effects on, you know, physical health, right? When you think about like blood pressure, stress, you, you know, all these type of things, the physical and emotional um, sort of spectrum. I think it, it it's okay to leave too. You and I think it's about having those difficult conversations with yourself, asking you what you want, you know, and what is this playing into what I want, and how you know how will this impacting me? So having sort of difficult conversations with yourself, but I think uh, most importantly, just have a dialogue. Oftentimes, unfortunately, you know, with implicit and explicit biases, or you know, whatever you may be facing at work, it, some may not be aware of it, and it, it may be you tasked with you know educating folks in your department or your workforce, unfortunately or fortunately. So I think communication often is the first best tool to utilize. Yeah, it's everything that you said, like I'm reflecting on maybe a couple um, work scenarios, even from past experiences where I'm like, yeah, you know, finding a group, um, that you can talk to, but I'm also mindful that the conversation with the group shouldn't be monopolized by the stress at work because I feel like that defeats the purpose because sometimes it feels like you're stewing in it and I just Mm -hmm. don't want to stew in whatever it is, you know? Um, Absolutely. So so that's kind of like one of those things. Um, I want to jump back a little bit. So we talk about like, like law at work, I stress me out and I think with burnout, Mm -hmm. stress is kind of similar where, you know, sometimes there are deadlines, things are hectic. And there's like, like you said, like the stress that comes along with like having these deadlines. But how would you define stress at work beyond, you know, oh, there's this deadline and we're all really working hard to meet this deadline? Because that's, I don't want to say normal, but it's kind of normal. How, how would you classify stress in that yeah. sense? Um, well, when I think about personal experiences, you know, in many ways, I've been the tokenized black woman and expected mm. to sort of eradicate all the social and health woes of the black community. And in many ways, that's stressful because they're putting that pressure on me. And I don't necessarily not that I don't have the capability, but I can't solve all the issues for black people just because I'm a black woman. And um, that causes a lot of stress. Uh, I think I er mentioned earlier microaggressions, um, these these implicit or explicit, these um, these biases that come up in the workplace and they're they're really derogatory and they're really negative. And I think um, when those things come up, those, again, those create a hostile work environment for me because, again, I'm looked at this looked at as this black woman but also with these also negative connotations associated with it and I don't want to be that person so again that creates a negative environment for me a stressful environment for me um I think about gossip um I've been in work environments where that's been a fundamental component of the work environment unfortunately and these things don't always come up in the interviews because Mm -hmm. you know they want to sell you their company they want to sell you this role they want to be on their best um 
behavior, so to speak. And so it, it's hard to screen for these things, but it, it takes being in the environment to kind of learn and see. And I think, you know, often they say you learn the job in two years. I think that's the same, but I think you can, you can get a good feel for about six, to, that, six yeah. months to a year, way before that. You, you know whether you fit in that environment or not. So I think stress can look very differently um, depending on what environment you in. I know I had a close friend who was working under a white woman and that dynamic, the white woman being the boss and then sort of this black woman being working underneath this white man cre- created this really hostile work environment where you know, she had these biases and they con- continuously came up in the workplace and she wasn't aware of that. She wasn't trying to do the work. She wasn't trying to understand, you know, when communication was initiated and it created a really hostile work environment, which induced stress in many ways, which created that, that, you know, that anxiety of going to work every day and dreading going to work to the point where she had to leave. That was the best decision for her. So, um, yeah, stress comes up in many ways, and um, again, it's about us asking those tough questions to ourselves: Is this worth it? Is it, does this tie into the bigger picture? Does this is this helping me? Is this is there a way can I can facilitate a, a dialogue with my management team? And um, yeah, it, it just comes up very differently and very and very effective, I think. Yeah, I think one situation that comes up is like uncertainty on the job, right? So there's yeah. a situation, whether it's acquisition, I can't speak to as acquisition, but like because of internal conflict, people leave the company, then there's lots of turnover because people are following those who left the company. And you're like, you know, I've seen it where a lot of younger um members of the workforce, their friends left, so they're leaving. And then after seeing everyone going through the door, I'm not saying there there aren't valid reasons for people to leave, but after a while you start second guessing like, yo, should I be leaving too? You know, because sometimes you can't even separate what's good for you from what everyone is doing because it is, it just permeates the entire atmosphere of the the work environment and it's very Mm -hmm. hard for you to pull yourself and say okay like when you're at home you're like yeah this is what's good for me but the minute you go into the office it's almost like you get swept up in the energy of second guessing because of everything that's happening so i so 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 how how can in my situation, how can I deal with a scenario like that? Because, I mean, I think strategically, I know what makes sense. And, you know, even if it's time to leave, you're strategic about it because, you know, the reality is you don't want to jump out of a pot into a fire. And to your point, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of companies are going through the buzzword transformation and Mm -hmm. you can't screen for that when you're interviewing. You can't screen for like, Hey, welcome. This is this company, blah, blah, blah. But behind the scenes, there's like a bloody civil war. And yeah, (laughs) you you walk into it. (laughs) Yeah, and you walk right into it. So I think, you know, so that then ties into the job hunt process, which can be overall stressful. So there's there's uncertainty at work. It's real toxic. You need to find a job and then or you want to find a job. And then the job hunt process adds a level of anxiety and stress on top of everything there, what's happening. So what are your thoughts on self-care? Because I think that's kind of where we are. Like yeah. we just have a couple strategies 
to deal with stress, any triggers on work, at work, and like how to make sure that we have mental health days or whatever that strategy is. So love to hear. Um, Yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier, but utilize, it's okay to take days off for your mental health. As you use your sick days, so those sick days can be up to your discretion. I don't see your employer has no right to, you know, define whether it's mental health versus physical health. So utilize those days. Um, I think another thing that we overlook is taking your lunch. You are, you work for it. And depending on what state you're in, it's legally mandated that you take that lunch or your company will be fined. I think that's a little one, but we often overlook it because we're in this go, you know, work harder, work harder, work harder environments that we, you know, we sacrifice small things like um, that. I, I think, um, if it if possible, you know, one of the things I did was go into some of the company companies and facilitate just small dialogues for women of color um, in these companies to create these sort of safe spaces to have dialogues about some of the things they were experiencing and not in a way where, you know, it's counterproductive and you're just kind of just sitting within the mess or sitting within it, but kind of creating practical, having the group work amongst each other and kind of discussing some of the issues, but also developing some of the strategies that worked out for them and kind of navigating it as a community. Mm -hmm. So building community whenever possible, I think is important. And um, one of the other things is that most people have benefit and access to, whether you can afford a therapist or not, um, EAP counselors, employee assistant programs are all usually built into most companies. And these are just, um, these are therapists who provide about, six to 10 sessions, depending on what the authorization looks like. And these individuals are specifically um, assigned to your company to help you sort of navigate some of the daily stresses that come up either in your lives or because we don't, we don't operate in a, you know, silo. We, We have our life and we also have work life. And, you know, sometimes those can often be very hectic at the same time. So these individuals can help you sort of work through some of those things in a very brief, short session. Um, so utilizing things like EAP, I think, uh, or therapy, if you're able to, I think are incredibly important. Um, in terms of self-care, uh, yeah, I think those are the biggest ones. And taking care of yourself on the weekends. Totally, when you're home, if, if ever possible, disconnect from work. Um, you leave your work at home and, you know, vice versa, right? Leave home at work if you can um, when you're going into work. I think leaving those two separate and keeping those lives separate, I know this sounds, it's, uh, I'm making it way easier than it, you know, oversimplifying it, but I know some people don't have that luxury, but if possible, set really strict boundaries for yourself. If you are taking your work home saying, you know, I'm not going to work past 7 p.m. tonight and that's okay because, you know, I, I did the work or, you know, what have you. I did the assignment that I was supposed to do and I gave myself a strict boundary and this is what I'm going to do. This is what I accomplished and find peace with that. And I think those are the biggest things I would say in terms of self-care and kind of working through some of the you know, issues that come up at work. Yeah, I'm going to add a layer to that. So, you know, I've been keeping boundaries. I've been, I've gotten much better at keeping a bound or having boundaries when it comes to work because after years of working in litigation, where literally, you know, the hours were really yeah. long. Um, so I've just said, if you have my personal phone or the bat phone, if, if you're talking to me about work, it has to be because you can't say it on the work phone. <laughs> 
and you need to tell me, yeah. but I try not to, We, you know, if you have my personal number, which is very few, it is not to talk about work. Um, and a good when, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people for the most part honor that except when, you know, something crazy is happening and they're just like, oh, this is only for the bat phone. Um, or yeah. um, when I do work from home, it's literally I get in earlier. Technically, I get in earlier because I've eliminated an hour and something from my commute. So I get yeah. in earlier and I'm like, all right, I'm out. I'm working from home. I'm out earlier. And, you know, I have that flexibility to do that. but. Um, most people don't, but I'm adding another layer to that. Most people, and, and, and yeah, I don't bring home to work and I definitely don't bring work home. The minute I leave work, I leave work at there and I don't talk about work, but I have a side hustle. So when you talked about, you know, take the weekend for yourself, you're like, are you kidding me? The weekend is all I have to do a side yeah. hustle work. Absolutely. I understand because I have a couple too, so I, I get it. <laughs> I get it. Clearly, because I'm, I'm recording the podcast on a weekend. I'm like, what? Uh, yeah, after <laughs> I record this, I'm about to do a few other interviews. So like what, like some strategies balancing your full-time job and a side hustle. Um, what, what are, from your experience, what are some things that have worked for you in terms of like handling the stress? Yeah. Um, so my side hustle, the way I, I looked at it as a passion project, right? It was something that I felt that I was uh, fulfilling my passions and what I really wanted to do outside of my nine to five work. So it helps me when I look when I look at it as that as opposed to uh, anything else. So it's what gives me fulfillment. So it, it makes me actually happy and I enjoy it because I'm doing the work that I want to do and putting, you know, seeing what happens when I put my time and efforts and resources into something that I've created. So when I flip the focus on, on how I look at it, my perspective, it, it's certainly helpful in that way. That doesn't say that, I mean, that definitely mean, doesn't mean that it's not time consuming. It doesn't take all my weekends and my evenings after work, but it definitely helps when I shift my mindset on how I look at it. Um, in terms of sort of balancing, I, I just, I, every day when I, I wake up super early in the morning, that's my thing. And every day I'm up at least by 4.30 a.m. And I know I'm going to devote at least an hour and a half into my own business. And I know when I build my schedule, I that's how what I do. I build my schedule and each day I build a couple hours in a day to devote it to my, um, to my passion project or to my side hustle. And that just that just helps bring me fulfillment that I know that I'm doing outside of work, something that I'm building and it just helps make me feel a lot more fulfilled than my work, honestly, at yeah. work. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I look at, you, you, you're absolutely right on shifting the focus of what your side hustle, because I look at my side hustle that it helps me be more creative at work. It is, it is my sandbox where I use to test different strategies and apply it at work. And it's the same way I use work experiences and apply it to my side hustle. So I look at it that way. I think what gets me the most is a lot of times things happen, right? And yeah. You know, before you know it, you are behind with some of the deadlines or some things that you have to do for the side hustle. And then I feel like, oh my God, I have so much to do and I can't do it. So sometimes overwhelm kicks in because yeah. um, 
you've you have deadlines or you have deliverables. So I have a stand-in deliverable for my side hustle the podcast. I have to produce an episode every two weeks. And if something mm-hmm. with work throws me off that I'm now behind on my deliverable, then there's this feeling of overwhelm because then there's all these trigger it's this this trigger effect because then I have to push so many other things out the way. So when it comes to feeling overwhelmed because you're behind schedule or you just don't have enough time to do all the things that you want to do, I think one thing my friend said to me was, Carrie, who set the deadline? I said, me. Who else knows about mm. the deadline? Me. So why right. are you stressing, right? <laughs> so I, for, for those things where I know no one else knows about this deadline and I created it because I wanted to set this deadline, I use that. But what happens when... You have like a hard deadline that you've committed to the world. Like you, this a new episode is supposed to go out this day. What happens when you feel like I'm, I'm, I'm so behind on my goal and the stress of trying to catch up? Like, what are some strategies that you've used for yourself that you can tell me? Because sometimes this really reached me. You know, absolutely, absolutely. And I think your friend brought a good point. Um, I make a list. Um, uh, Making a list. Because feeling overwhelmed is saying it's kind of like I have to recenter myself. I have to, you know, get my thoughts together and compartmentalize everything and make sure that I know that I can get through this uh, one by one. So by making a list for myself, it helps me kind of just see what I need to do, which is helpful for some people, right? If you're a visual person. And then by taking, um, you know, checking things off as I go, another visual uh, tool that I use to kind of see that I'm making progress and working through each thing. Um, I think that's been the most helpful thing to me. Making lists are incredibly important for me and kind of working through those lists helps kind of ease some of that worry and anxiety that I have when I do have deadlines or when I um, have so many things going on. I think that's been sort of the most helpful tool. And again, just staying mindful. I think like your your friend mentioned earlier, you know, you, Carrie, who made, you know, who made the deadline? Is this deadline, you know, feasible for you? Um, I think taking those things into consideration as well when you kind of got a lot going on. And I mean, not to negate the sort of emotional piece, but sometimes we just got to do it. We got to, we got to push ourselves to get through these sort of, you know, these sort of multiple things that we're juggling if we can, um, definitely just pushing through, um, I would say, yeah, the make, but making a list has been incredibly helpful for me in getting through everything I need to do. All good, good tips. Because again, I like lists. I have, I, I write a lot. But you know, <clears throat> the one thing I do find realize after all of this is like nobody miss that you didn't make this deadline. Like very few people, other than the clear deliverable of the podcast episode, very few people yeah. know that this thing was missed. It's, it's like you said, the emotional element of we we have this high expectation of ourselves and we need to deliver something. And sometimes that creates this, um, I don't want to say a false sense of urgency, but it does. But because, you know, the saying is fish in water, didn't don't know it's in water. You've surrounded yourself with this deadline and this urgency and you can't see anything but this deadline and this urgency to get something done. Um, 
And I, in, in retrospect, I look back at all the things before my friend Sarita said that to me, I look at all the cell things that I said, Oh, I have to do it by this time. And it didn't really make a difference. It really was mostly for me to say that I finished it at this time. So I think that's, you know, to your point, making a list and kind of stepping outside of self and saying like, what really is the most pressing thing? All right. So yes, work, stress, and work inside hustle stress is it's it's almost yeah. the thing that um and and I'm not even getting to the kids because we're really only talking about work and just yeah. figuring out how to do this because the life component just adds a different element. So so as we wrap up, what is like the thing that you've seen or observed to be like one of the things that we know is there, but people underestimate how how much this can impact us negatively or positively if we do more or less of it. So, so let's start with one. What's the thing that you see as a threat that people underestimate when it comes to our mental health and work? Oh, that's a good question. The number one thing we underestimate, um, I think management styles um, when it comes to work, um, I think it has a really big impact on how we function emotionally at work and how our work trajectory looks like. Um, I think uh, micromanager is sort of the worst. I mean, some people may need that. Some people may need that handholding. Some, you know, some may thrive off that. But I think for many, it's counterproductive. It makes us question ourselves and it creates all these sort of negative ripple effects that make us ultimately question ourselves and our value within the company. I think that's really... Uh, one of the biggest uh, ones we under or overlook rather um, this sort of management styles. And I think more managers need to do a better job at sort of training or, you know, kind of understanding a lot of the issues that women, women of color face in the workspace and be, be more familiarized with the language and what that experience looks like. I mean, granted, they may not fully get it, especially depending on their background, depending on their expertise. Like, for instance, like I have many doctors that manage me and unfortunately or unfortunately as I always say they they have a certain way of looking at things and don't very much understand you know my position as a black woman in this world in America in the United States and how you know how that how I come into work and play come into this space each day and I think unfortunately that it wears down on me it wears down on my colleagues and it definitely has a negative impact. Mm-hmm. The emotional, the lack of emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And the lack of empathy. The empathy. Lack of, I don't need, I don't need sympathy, but I need, you know, there are times where I do need empathy and I, I, they're not always able to give it to me because this sort of restrictive ability to, to understand. Right. Right. And inherent in being a manager, you're managing people and it's like, you in order to to get people to function on the deliverable or whatever task from a business perspective you have to understand or be empathetic and have some kind of emotional intelligence and i think that's the challenge that we have in this very in this world of buzzwords of transformation and digital workforce mm-hmm. etc um, that's a good point. Another topic to discuss at another day. And what's the one mm-hmm. thing, um, that we underestimate that 
um, can positively impact us at work? This is another good one. Um, I would say, I think a level of uh, open-mindedness is helpful. Um, I think when we can listen without judgment, without, you know, being quick to respond or being quick to react and just truly just understanding and coming from a place of just wanting to be receptive is something that um, is probably one going to be the most helpful things in a work environment in terms of helping, you know, sort of combat a lot of these social and emotional or mental health issues that may come up in the workplace. And when I say that, I basically mean like having, you know, those tough dialogues. Um, I remember I met, we were interviewing a candidate and she had mentioned how in her previous workplace, they would have these um, sort of like, um, I think they called it inter-dialogue moment where basically they have really hard conversations so whether it was about race or like um gender you know just having these really tough social conversations that that come up in the workplace often and having people come from a place where they really want to just understand so that they can be more supportive of their colleagues and their co-workers so i, I think having being, being receptive being open being uh, willing to understand and learn from your from your peers i think is going to be really important when you have these sort of like higher hierarchies that you know take place in the work environment it, it doesn't it really it, it creates a negative sort of um mentality for many of the other uh colleagues so i think being understanding and opening and, and you know being able to listen is very important that's a good point I I, I, your question no 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 <laughs> you did because it was a per, i had a follow-up question and i was like hmm maybe i should have asked this but you by by saying about the the candidate who said about inter dialogue yeah. I know large tech companies and larger companies have these. And so for smaller companies, it may not make sense. So right. you know, larger tech companies and, um, you know, large companies, they have employee resource groups like, you know, Black at Google or Black at New York Times or, you know, so they, they have those spaces, you know, but for mm-hmm. people who most of us don't work in a company that's very large, and you right. like the idea of this inter-dialogue, you know, having these conversations. How, how would one go about suggesting this if you don't want to run it to, to HR or whoever people operations structure are in? Uh, yeah, um, I think it can happen on a smaller basis, too, right? because I, we often have them. So I work in a, um, within the larger clinic. I work in a smaller diabetes clinic where we where we see all our diabetic patients. And I work with a Jewish doctor and a Jewish nurse and um, a Jewish dietitian. And I'm the only black woman. Right. And so. Again, you know, because of our experiences, because of our professional trainings, we all come in with very, you know, with very different ideas about life in the world. And we have, we have this opportunity to have these really tough dialogues together. And, you know, one of the things the doctor mentioned to me, she's like, Anim, I'm just so happy for you to be here because you really help open, you know, my eyes to a lot of things because I saw things only in a 
certain issues in a one way and you kind of help shape and open my mind around a lot of things. So although it's not necessarily sanctioned by the company or authorized by the company, we work in a really small team and we work really closely together and we're able to have these conversations. And I think, you know, my colleagues and myself even kind of learning from them and understanding why, you know, why do you think like that? Why, you know, what, what sparked your interest in, you know, this particular matter? And I think, we're able to have these really tough dialogues, but at the same time, in a respectful way, in a way that we're both receptive and we're not quick to judge, we're not quick to, you know, argue, we're really just in a place where we want to learn. And so, and on a smaller level, that's how I'm able to execute having sort of these inter-dialogue conversations in my workplace. And it's not, I didn't go through HR, I didn't go through any of the, you know, the big management teams, but we, since we work closely together, mm-hmm. you know, we want to trust one another. And I think we've been able to establish a relationship in many ways by um, having these sort of tough um, conversations. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a really good point. And I just want to say that we've talked a lot about race, but it, it, it's also yeah. about uh, race and gender, but it's also about age. You know, I look like a young bird. Absolutely. But, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, I am, you know, I'm skewing a little older than some of my colleagues who are younger yeah. or close to my daughter's age. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, that also is not a lot of times their perspective is completely different from mine. Absolutely. So, you know, those Absolutely. are, it's not just about gender and race, but it's also about age. And Absolutely. I'm talking about that because I'm like, oof. <laughs> <laughs> I always get teased for being the youngest person, but I'm just, you know, I can learn from them and they can learn from me. That's the way I see it. The, the, the challenge I have is I'm in, I'm an in-between generation, you know, so mm-hmm. I'm right in the middle, you know, of the younger ones who are in their 20s and 30s, whereas, you know, everyone over 40 going to closer to the 50 range. So I'm right there in the middle in that, you know, early forties group. And I don't know if there's that many there. So it's, it's, it's seeing both angles and being, you know, from, I guess, Gen X generation, that's always been, or a struggle where we're between baby boomers and the millennial generation. And it's always trying to explain or, you, you know, you see both sides, but or side is never mm-hmm. seen because we're always in the middle. So it's, it's very right. interesting. It's very interesting. But, you know, I mean, thank you so much for being on the show, talking about something that we, we say it all the time, work stress, but I don't know if we've always had the right tools to go about addressing it. So I definitely like um, your suggestions of, you know, start, start small, start taking lunch, start taking those mental, you know, call out, you know, sick. It's not a lie. You know, like a colleague of mine recently was just like, Hey, I I'm, I'm, I'm out. I I need a mental health day. So those are appropriate, but do check with your HR because if you take more than two consecutive sick days, you need a doctor or, you know, using your, um, EAPs and, um, employee, um, what's the A stand for? Assistance program, Assistance. assistant program, or, you know, if your insurance, if you already haven't, your insurance might cover, you know, your EAP can also recommend the therapist. So, you know, maybe it's, you know, starting some, um, 
treatments through a therapist and, you know, start talking because a lot of times stress happens because the work you do, your family doesn't understand the work you do or your friends. And so you can't really have a conversation. And then if you come from like old school Caribbean household, like we don't know where you're stressed about your work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough one. You know, I try to have a conversation by my mom with my mom about anxiety recently. And she, you know, she was a little open and receptive to it, but to go speak to a professional, she's like, no, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. You know, my business stays in the house. And I'm just yeah. like, okay, well, we started to have the dialogue. She identifies a little bit, but yeah, you know, we can't change our families. We can't change our parents, but we can try to, you know, do the best we can do for our future generations, I think, and making sure that we're mentally and emotionally healthy for our loved ones and just setting the example. Absolutely. Absolutely. So on that note, I want to thank you again for being on the show. And as I love to say at the end of the show, walk good. You've been listening to Carry On Friends, a show about the Caribbean American experience. We post new episodes every two weeks. And if you want to learn more, buy merchandise or sign up for our newsletter, check out our website, carryonfriends.com. You've been listening to Carry On Friends a show about the Caribbean-American experience, produced by Breadfruit Media. We post a new episode every two weeks on Tuesday. And if you're looking to learn more, buy our merch, or sign up for our newsletter, check out carryonfriends.com. Or find us on all social media platforms at Carry On Friends. <laughs>